Look up there in the sky. It's a bird, a plane. It's Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Those boys are so handsome. One writer. One artist. It's one weekly discussion of comics and culture. I'm your host, Robbie Dorman, literature geek and writer. I'm your other host, Eric Z. Goodnight, professional artist and illustration nerd. And we are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour, your home for news, reviews, slightly antagonistic banter, and much, much more. This is episode 200. 100, 100. Like I said, that's not enough. That's not enough echo. Not enough fanfare. 100, 100, 100. Okay, now everyone just closed their... Just close their podcast app. We're alone now. Like Tiffany said. Who's Tiffany? She was a pop singer in the eighties. Oh, okay. I think we're alone now is her big hit. Okay. Well that's good for her. There's a music video uh, of her like holding a gumby at a mall. <laughs> she did mall tours. Well, that was heart. that was her big thing. She did mall tours. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. Let's go to the mall. This is episode 200 of the Hands of Boys Comics Hour, and we will be discussing, later on in our book club, we'll be discussing The Killing Joke by Alan Moore and Brian Bolland. I'm sure we both love it with no hesitation. No reservations. No reservations. Like Anthony Bourdain, even though he doesn't do that show anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. No, I mean, he... the, old, the old ones do. I mean, they st- they're still around. You can watch them. Not on Netflix. There are other ways. Yes. Yes. <laughs> This is fascinating. <laughs> we are so fucking interesting. We are. We're really good. Before we get to The Killing Joke, uh, we have comic books that came out. I mean, not all. They weren't all this week, but mostly. Uh, came out this week, and I, I, I wanted to talk about Captain America. So we did that, too. It's time for our first segment. It's time for We Get the Lobbies. We Get the Lobbies is the part show. Eric and I will... Take a selection of this big take a selection of this week's books, tell you to buy or do not buy them. There may or may not be a mush meter involved. Our first book of the week is Captain America number six hundred and ninety-five. It's a lot of them. Storytellers, Mark Wade and Chris Somney, colors, Matt Wilson, letters, Joe Hermania. Hey, it's Captain America again. He's not a Nazi anymore. Mm-hmm. Isn't that good? Yes. Okay. Good. I. I. I mean. I. I accept that as a, uh, a acceptable answer. <laughs> yes, with a question mark. <sighs> um, it's Chris Somney drawing Captain America. Yeah. It's. Um, yeah. It's. I don't know. I. I hope that they reckon with some of the garbage that was in Secret Empire. Maybe, I hope. I don't know. Also, part of me hopes that it's completely forgotten and we just uh, move on because mm-hmm. I don't like any of it. Uh, but I don't know. This feels like Cap. It does. It feels like th- this This is like as saccharine as a, as a bowl of syrup. Um, and I think... They just basically like Mark Wade, Chris Somney, please make us a palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. I I'm it is very much I feel like this is very much like, hey, 
we also like white bread Steve Rogers punching bad guys and throwing a mm-hmm. shield around and being like the the sugary sweet candy boy that he is. Yeah. And that's what we're going to do. And they specifically call out these bad guys as racists. Mm-hmm. Which I would like, you know, I, I hope, you know, there's not a, a I, I like, I think back to that, the first issue of their Black Widow run. And that felt like immediately impactful and like catching. It felt immediately like I'm on board. I'm hooked. This has less of that. But I mm-hmm. feel like some of that is just used to kind of give us, hey, we are, this is what our Steve Rogers is. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. And I, there is some about, you know, they have, you know, the, the, the story with, uh, what's the name of these, those, uh, Rampart, <laughs> which is, I don't, I mean, I think the, of, I just think of the Reddit, the Reddit joke. So I don't, I, yes, that's, that's no, my that's first exactly. Thought. I was going to say their supreme leader is Woody Harrelson. I was going to, but it's like, guys, guys, I just want to talk about Rampart. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think Mark Wade knows any, I, he probably does not have like Reddit. I mean, jokes. I really, I, I really hope he really, he's not too turned, tuned in to Reddit jokes from 2013. <laughs> no, I hope not. But other than that, I'm, I'm in, I'm on board. This, I, I mean, frankly, I, I it's it, like Chris Somney drawing Captain America. I'd be like, I'm probably, it, it have to work pretty hard for me not to want to get it. And I don't know. It's, it, this is my Captain America. Hashtag my cap. Mm-hmm. I'm a buy. It's good. So you got me conflicted because I could easily pass this book. Right. I mean, Somney drawing gorgeous stuff is always great. But I don't know me. I could live without it. It's certainly good. I I think me personally, I wouldn't get it. It's still a book I would recommend for all the reasons we've outlined. I, it, it's not bad. So I guess like it's kind of hard for me to say. I would recommend it, but not personally buy it. Does that make sense? I really don't know if that makes me a buyer or not. Uh, you have to decide that in your heart. I know. I guess I'm a buy. Okay. Okay. I guess that's what that. I guess that's what that equals. All right. It's more about the recommendation than uh, my own personal taste. And there is, I mean, Somni's one of those guys that just I I don't he needs to just do an insane amount of work every month. So yeah. Double buy. Captain America number six ninety five. All all new Wolverine number twenty six is our next book, written by Tom Taylor, art Juan Cabal, colors Nolan Woodard, letters. Corey Pettit. We read we read the last one, thought we'd read this one too. Yeah. 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 I, I I I still like it. Uh I still think it's good. I don't think it's I, I certainly don't think it's bad. Um there's something a little bit off with um I don't know, particularly like the beat that it ends on. It kinda made the whole thing feel just really off, really weird. What do you mean by weird? I was surprised. It felt like half of a story. Well, I mean, it is probably one-fifth of a story, honestly. I, I get that, but not even one issue. Oh, you mean half it, of a... Okay, I understand. Yes, I, I, I understand at this point how, how serialized comic books work. <laughs> I understand. I'm just Semantics are difficult. Words are hard to understand. I mean, 
I I think this is another case of in trade it is invisible. I mean, maybe so, but it really does feel like this episode's all recap. It's all like kind of a lot of standing around, a lot of dwelling in in these moments. It, it, none of it is bad. It's just a lot of emptiness. This is kind of also multiplied. It has a little bit of that. Oh, I always forget if it's uh, Sarah Vaughn as the artist or Jonathan Luna as the artist. I think it's actually Jonathan Luna, isn't it? Must have his name wrong. What is the Alex and Ada? Jonathan Luna is his name. He sure does not own his... Uh, he is the artist. Own, he, yeah, yeah, that's... I got that exactly right. And he sure doesn't come up... He sure doesn't come up under his own uh, search on Google. Need oh, my, my boy needs to get some better SEO there. Well, it looks like the... The, the top entry had was an unfortunate tragedy. Yes, that was attached to that well, name. So that's probably gonna be more. That, that, be, that's I don't know. Be more searched than a comic book artist. I think you should. I think you should Google your name before you start publishing under it. My name has can... newspaper articles from me working in an orchestra. Nice on the on the front page even. Hey, no one has my name. Fancy. Mm-hmm. What you were you saying about the? What, what, what were you gonna? What were you saying? Why are you comparing Jonathan Luna? To it this? just has that kind of style of figures, and it makes the pages feel a little sterile and empty. It's just something about the line work and the way the figures are drawn, combined with the color. It just reminds me of those books, and. It's just a cold sort of look, a cold feel. Um, I don't know, and it, it kind of makes me feel a little bit negative about this book. It's not bad, and I definitely, I still really high on Little Sis Wolverine. I like that's. Uh, I, I, I think I, she, huh? you like. No, I like. I like the. I like the family. I like the this cast yeah. that they've built up. Uh, I like Dokken in this. I I think. Yeah, that is. Uh, it's an interesting having him in the book. I think is a very intelligent mm-hmm. choice, and it's a very uh, he's a a good I don't know ying to Laura's <laughs> yang, so to speak. It it, it feel, you know they're a good counterparts, and when he is often gone, it he's he's not even a villain in this anymore. I, I, he was you know he was pretty awful, but they've you know it's Marvel, it's superhero comics, so now the villain's an all right guy. Forget about all that murder and he's done, but it—I don't know—the the book successfully invokes the legacy of Logan Wolverine, while also building these characters. It—I don't mind. I like—I don't know. I—I—I I, I think back to those the few runaway books we've been reading, which are the epitome of hey, nothing is happening, mm-hmm. and this. It's better than those. So I this just, is better than those. So I just go, eh. I probably would prefer for more things to happen, but there is the docking yeah, stuff. The, the docking stuff moves pretty fast, and I think is there, enough right. for me. There's more good than bad in this book. I'm a buy straight up. Uh, yeah, me too. But I think more than anything, I want the little sis Wolverine and Princess Powerful team up. 
I think that's going to be my book of the year for 2018. I mean, you, you just make it yourself, Eric. Put the put that. I, do I need to? I need to. I need to write uh, fan fiction comics. I mean, it's, it's how people get work nowadays. <laughs> I, it really is. I mean, I'm not, there was seriously. A, there, was a, there was a hashtag on, I, I think maybe it happened while we were on hiatus. I don't it, remember. It did, yes. Yeah, the the, the, the hashtag uh, fan art got me paid. Yes. Yeah. Um, Double buy, all new Wolverine number 26. Next up, Batman White Knight number two. Script art cover, Sean Murphy. Colors, Matt Hollingsworth. Letters, Todd Klein. Another book that... I felt I wanted to follow up on it because that first issue was mm-hmm. interesting, and Batman a Joker story also kind of you know relevant with our with Killing Joke. So double to kill two birds one stone. Um, Sean Mar- Sean Murphy's art is still really really good. That's the thing number one thing in this. I like I, I how do you feel about that Harley Quinn decision? I, that was a weird thing. Yeah, I, I was really taken aback by that. That that's that's an that's a weird damn thing. I, I half really like it and half think it's super clunky. Yeah, I you know it's it's a way to get around the continuity of Harley Quinn was a character introduced in an anime the animated series and then has radically changed in the comics over the years and how do we kind of. I guess reckon with that in context of well, the character and the Joker and all that. Although I, I'm not. It doesn't make any sense because this is this is like a what if story anyway. Yes, and, you don't I need mean, to why, worry about why, it. Why? Why do that? Other than like, I really want to draw both these costumes. I, I don't. It makes no sense to me. I mean, maybe it's going to be relevant to the story later. Who, 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 who the hell knows? I, I think it is an attempt to bring some duality into it like how Mm -hmm. the joker is multiple you know his multiple personal personalities that has been portrayed and how harley quinn relates to that and probably also i imagine kind of sidestep some of yeah the joker being a terrible person to harley over the years and well more i think more to inject like more personality and backbone into a character that is kind of just like someone who just like lives with abuse or something like that. Someone mm-hmm. who would just have to, I, I don't know. It kind of sidesteps that darkness and I don't know. She, literally like pushes the character that does like seek that out, j- just pretends she doesn't exist and says, well, here's the good one who is a psychiatrist and she's smart and she really, she likes you for you. And, and yeah, I, I, yeah, it's weird. It's, it is weird. And the ending, I am unsure. I, I'm, I guess it's done its job because I'm still intrigued, but I am mm-hmm. a very, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little hesitant because that yeah. first issue was really about, the Joker, and it was trying to paint a, a, a slightly more complicated, nuanced portrait mm-hmm. of, yeah, Batman just goes up and out in the night and beats up criminals. That's not really how you make people better. That's how you re- rehabilitate a, a culture. And that's interesting. 
I don't mm-hmm. know if it can successfully be tackled at a Batman comic or a Joker comic for that matter. But then this issue, and like it has some of that in there, and I think there's some interesting class stuff in there too with Bat- with Bruce going to that you know the the rich the 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 rich rich people party, and and then it just ends with the Joker like brainwashing a bunch of villains, yeah, mind controlling them, and that's it. It 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 seems like it's gonna try and make this big sweeping statement and try and be important, and it turns into a Jeff Loeb gimmick. I, and maybe it will get turned on its head in some way. Maybe. May Who knows? I don't... I'm Like I said, I'm still intrigued. I And, and frankly, I, Sean Murphy. No, it's it's a really, really nice-looking really comic. Really good-looking. I think I could watch him draw the Joker forever. There's some really, really nice stuff in here. Yes. Um... I still think he's kind of tap. He's kind of dancing on thin ice here. Mm, it's 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 a I, hard I really, thing to I do. Also, go ahead. No, it's a hard. It's a difficult place. He, I mean, mm-hmm. writing this book and making it successful is it is going to be is. I think we we said that in the first issue. It's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. High difficulty level. Yeah, I mean, maybe he'll crush it. Who knows? I I don't know. I still I don't like his tra- I don't like his treatment of Batgirl. I think she's too silly and whimsical. I don't, either. I don't like it. No, I don't either. I I agree with you. I think in any other book it might be fun if she was the center and she was like that. I would be okay with it, but in this serious world it just makes her look stupid. Yeah, it it doesn't make any sense in the context of this book especially. Like if 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 the the tone of the book was lighter and she's silly. That's fine. But when there's all this terrible things happening and she's like, mm-hmm. hey, it's all great. Let's have some fun. Like, that's, mm, eh. I, I think I'm still just a buy. Yeah, but tread lightly, guys. <laughs> Be careful. Mm-hmm. So double buy Batman White Knight number two. Next up, the Magic Inkwell, or just Magic Inkwell number one, uh, by Cayetano. This is a, it's a, a webcomic that, has been a, a, a webcomic for a long time and is now he's putting stuff in paper. Even he talks about it at the beginning because like he talks about how people, you know, complain about you giving them things for free on in webcomics. And this is like, here, you could pay for this and, and have a, a thing. I, I had no idea about any of this before I, we, I picked this. I just saw it and it looked interesting. What do you think? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Uh, um, <laughs> I really like this. This is good. I d- no, no, I don't think it is. No, I mean your reaction. I don't mean. Okay. I, I don't mean the comic. I mean I like this. This is this is good this, content. Huh? I like. I don't know if it's good, but I think it's funny. <laughs> well, I mean, what's the difference? You can laugh at my suffering. I don't care. Um, yeah, I. I don't like this. Okay. This is this is fine. Um, it is a <laughs> Christ. What I mean, what what the hell happens in this book? We watch a guy with a an inexplicable question mark of a haircut, like get a haircut. He does, and a a, a silent comic where a guy draws himself, and like it's just. There's also one of the first one. Don't forget that one, Eric, where he goes and yeah, he talks about a dream where he flies away. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I mean, what even what? It this is this is something that if I saw it as a webcomic, 
I would go, all right. You know, it is clearly in some places like feels like a legacy of a newspaper comic. I mean, it it is a, a legacy of a lot of different cartoons for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, I I see a lot of um, a lot of references, you know, Fleischer's and Popeye and newspaper comics too. You know, um, it's all in there. Um, but I don't really care. Yeah, too much. it's just like a lot of. It, it's very self-indulgent, and, like, I don't get any sense of joy from what he's trying to do. And that motherfucker really loves these halftone filters. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it is it is just a kind of, I, I don't know, it feels very much like, hey, here's more, it's more like, here's a collection of things for fans of this already. Mm. I it, this is not certainly I don't think it's to win over new people although I would think a change of format would be at least attempt to do that but there's just it's three three stories none of them are connected to each other they are representing characters that if you read the webcomic you'd be familiar with if you haven't they don't mean anything to you and they vary wildly in tone I I think it's fine it's fine it also does okay how about this it costs two dollars does that change your opinion of it at all no okay no i would not i would not throw two bucks on this i mean that's better than five dollars but i i if 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 an artist friend of mine made this comic i would i would buy a copy and you know congratulate them and encourage to make more comics but this is this is baffling to me um I don't I don't particularly enjoy it. It is it is not wretched by any any stretch of the imagination. I have read far worse comics. I have been enraged by some shit that has been put into comicsology. <laughs> I tried um, I try to keep those down. We could read you, we could read really bad do. comics all the time if you wanted. Uh, it that's that's up to you, man. No, the... I, I prefer not to as well. No, that's that. Hey, that you're a wise man. Uh-huh. I'm. I. Um, I don't know. I think I am ambivalent towards this thing. It. It is. I. I think, I think it ambivalence is, is is the kiss of death. Yeah, it's honestly. not. It's not a good it's like, thing. It's like being ambivalent to a wrestler. Yeah, you gotta be. You gotta be one thing or another. I mean. I mean, we. Sh- I. We should not get. We can't go down that that rabbit hole of about wrestling and X Pac heat. That's very. This is a. Uh, it is fine. I would not. I would not recommend it to anyone except probably people who are already fans of Magic Inkwell, which I am mm. not. So I, I'm a do not buy. Well, you, you have to be an extremely indie comic book person to be interested in a book like this. I, I'm sure they're out there. I don't know any. Yeah, I I know a couple. <laughs> I bet and you I would do. probably recommend this to them. Um, but uh, I think that their comics are better. <laughs> <laughs> They're making comics that are better than this, and I, I, so I would still be like, I don't know. Here's this thing. Maybe you'll like it, and then they'll be like, No, I don't like this, and I'll be like, Well, sorry, sorry. yeah, wasted your two dollars. Yeah. Uh, so that's a double do not buy. Magic and Cool number one. Lastly, is Port of Earth number one, written by Zach Kaplan, art Andrea Moody, colors Vladimir Popov, letters Troy Piteri, Piteri, Patui. It's not quite Patui. Mm-hmm. I think. 
I think I really like how this book looks in general. I like mm-hmm. the designs on the aliens. I I think it looks very nice. I think some of the dialogue is incredibly clunky. And I don't, I don't know. I don't think, I feel like more effort has been put into the world building of this and then into any mm-hmm. of the characters. I very much agree with that statement. Um, this is a book where, yes, it, it starts off with a lot of just, <clears throat> God, why, why the hell have I forgotten this word again? Uh-oh. Exposition. Mm-hmm. It's a hard... Why, it, how, I why for, do I keep forgetting the word exposition? I, what the hell's wrong with me? I forget it as well. I, I, I was going to say preposition. <laughs> I... That is a completely... That is the wrong thing. Eh, anyway, this book has a lot of prepositions. <laughs> I am firmly against prepositions. At, in, above. <laughs> no, this, this book is just like... The first half of it is just like... Just hard hard exposition just expositioning as hard as it can and then jump to let's follow the two most generic dudes ever and let's watch them do nothing that's kind of what this book feels like like i i am vaguely interested in it despite all those failings that i think that there is good here there is this the, the premise is interesting i just wish that these ideas were mined and executed in a better way. Yeah, the, these two fellas. These two generic human men. Ge- they are the default player character in Mass Effect yep. if you don't mess with Shepard. Yep, this you is just... blonde Shepard and this is black-haired Shepard. <laughs> couldn't even throw a femme Shepard. Couldn't on. even, come on, like, change the build or something. Yeah. Like, just don't leave it default. That, that and and the, their dialogue is, "Hey, I'm the, I am the rebel, and I'm the not the rebel," and it's just yeah, one guy's playing at Renegade, the other guy's playing at Paragon. <laughs> Thanks, Chef. <laughs> it's just this is my favorite comic on the Citadel. Uh, like, hey, like there and like yeah, there's this weird frame narrative where it's like, I guess to prop up that exposition. Because you have the exposition, and then like a news lady is interviewing a, a, some dude, and then it gets thrown to these two jamokes, and they're getting followed around by camera drones. I'm like, we don't, you don't need like an ex. You can just jump to these characters as a perspective. You don't mm-hmm. like maybe the camera stuff plays into it at some point because everyone on Earth has to know about it, but it feels like lots of layers of 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 narrative that just basically obfuscate what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And doesn't feel necessary. Um I, I don't know. I we have railed on and on and on about how, hey, characters driving the action and having interesting characters that are compelling is probably a, a good base for any new universe you're creating. It and unless you are supernaturally talented at creating a world having boring characters in it is not going to make me want to keep reading. Mm-hmm. I am still interested in the premise. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it is, it manages to hook me with aspects of the idea, but it's all, it's all clunky execution. And they really don't do anything. Those two dudes. And it's, un- I, are you a buy? 
Nah. Yeah, I don't think I am either. I, I maybe I'll ch- in trade. Maybe after the first trade, I'll check it out and see how it's going. Mm-hmm. See if it rounds into something. But there's nothing in here. Like that world is just not. It's just not interesting enough to make me spend another four dollars, and not much happening. Things happening, I think, is important. I mean, I don't want a comic book that's just full of furniture. I think that's actually a, uh, you know, like a catalog of furniture. I'll just go to Ikea instead. So Double Do Not Buy, Port of Earth, number one. Mm-hmm. You know what didn't come out during our hiatus? Uh, what? The Batman Who Laughs. That's next week. Oof. I'm so sad that I get to come back for that. I I, I made sure. I'm like, if that came out, we would have to read it, and it has not come out yet. So that's, that's next week. It's already I've already seen it in uh in all the the highlights of like here weekend comics Batman who laughs. So is that a Capula working on that? Mm, I don't think so. I'll for remote. some reason, I want it to be Capullo Snyder because that that seems like their mo. It I can tell you. I also have Google. I just want you to know things. Uh, it's Riley Rosmo doing the art, but and mm-hmm. written by Tinian. Okay. I mean, I like both those people. I like yeah, I like I, Tinian. Yeah, I like Riley Rosmo. Um, but I'm way more encouraged about that. But it's still like, mm-hmm. it's 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 like seeing a good team on on Wolverine Hulk. Hulkverine. Yeah. Weapon H. Weapon H. Preparation H. Yeah, that's not feels we... good right around the hole. <laughs> We can move on. That was that was not the that was not the line. Yeah, I'm sorry. To our next segment, it is time for checking in. Checking in. It's part show. Eric and I talk about what we've been up to during the week, or in this case, month since we last recorded. Talk about things that are topical, or things we've done, or seen, or read, or whatever. What we ever, whatever we want to talk about. Or really. So, Eric, you met Drew Suzanne. Oh, is that where you want to start? Well, I've got like serious things that. I I would like you can talk I'm about whatever tell you want. You that uh, meeting Drew Struzan is serious. I understand. I understand. But I mean, we're not we're not we're heavy, not starting with that though. Heavy gross I, things. I, I that's true. I I have first thing that's going to happen. I I got you a present. Uh oh. I have I have not sent it to you because I am stupid. <laughs> I was going to try and ship it this week, but I thought we were recording next next sunday <laughs> because you told me the date and i was i'm retarded i'm sorry but here i will send you the image of it oh okay yes that is that is a uh, pentagon pentagon i mean depending on which version of him zero there's pentagon dark el Sierro miedo zero fear mm-hmm. he's a he's a, a wrestle a wrestler a wrestle lucha, man lucha underground it's a mm-hmm. very handsome thing can you tell who did it uh, is that Ramon Villalobos' name in the bottom right-hand corner? That is exactly who that is. I, I really like that. I knew you would. <laughs> it's like you know me or something. <laughs> I remember talking to your wife about that, and she was, she was trying to pick out a gift for you, and I told her that I had gotten that for you, and she was like, I'm really jealous that you can get him such a good gift. That's a really good gift. <laughs> It's, um, it's gonna, I, I was just thinking today, I have a, 
a another wrestling. It's gonna go next to my other Via Lobos, but that Via Lobos is just a print. So this will this will yeah. replace the Bray Wyatt print, unfortunately. Oh man, am I bumping? Am I am I bumping Dave Dave fucking Burns off the wall? You are. I think you are. Well, you still have the um, Sharon Jones on the I wall, do. right? That, that is that will not be moving. I, it's nothing to do with Mr. Dave Burns, who is a, a fantastic artist. It is more to do with is more to do with Mr. Bray Wyatt <laughs> and how he's doing in the WWE and my Uh-oh. and my lack of interest in the WWE. Honestly, um, that is unfortunate. I'm plenty interested in in Mr. in Mr. Pentagon. Uh, his his uh, unfortunately he don't, doesn't really own that name, so he's going by a longer name in, on the indies right now but mm. i wonder if he's gonna be back for lucha underground four they just announced lucha underground season four i wonder if he'll be back for it but thank you mr goodnight that's a very nice present i like it a lot anyway you met drew suzanne i went to MondoCon. how was that it was a very interesting and different experience i might have to go back um at a certain point it was like actually very energizing to um one to go to Austin, two to hang out with uh, Austin art friends like uh, 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 Kevin Shin and Alexander Yaccarino. It was it was good to see them and hang out with them. It was really very interesting to see sort of the lay of the land with these Mondo associated um, screen printers and the people that were guesting there. It was pretty fascinating because I did get to talk. It was actually super interesting. I was walking around the show floor and i saw two of the artists come out from behind their table and get a picture with this old man and i'm like who the hell's this old man he must be someone really important and then i just happened to walk by the table later and i was like holy shit that's motherfucking drew struzan i couldn't believe it i stammered a bunch of dumb shit at him i had already bought two prints from the mondo store i stood in line for five hours in order to get to the Mondo store. That's a long time. Yeah, it was awful. It that was, was incredibly was this, awful. Was this on Saturday? Yes. That's I, I, I actually had I I some people I watch stream player unknowns battlegrounds mm-hmm. are uh one of them is an Austin based artist who was at MondoCon and he's and uh, like a week before he was just playing and he just they were talking about because he he had plays with other artists and uh mm-hmm. he they were like yeah mono they're like saturday is always super swamped and sunday is always super dead who is this uh mike mitchell is the, the okay. gentleman's name okay he is uh he is I think most famous now for a bunch of star wars art he's done i think currently um i forget his twitter handle he's a good artist but I mean, okay. I didn't even realize he, I'd seen his art before I had watched him stream. And then I'm like, wait a second. Oh, it's that guy. He's good at, he's good at shooting dudes in that video game as well as being a good artist. I think it's funny. Alex also plays a uh, uh, player unknown. I, but is it, is it a big, I, what I had heard was that it's relatively small, but it has like extremely yeah. primo level of talented people. It is, it is, it is very small. I mean, I would say there were maybe a thousand of 1500 people that attended. There were probably 30 exhibitors. It is a small, basically one room deal. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there, I mean, it, they take over that whole building. It is a little bit bigger than one room, but there is one exhibit hall, and there is the main Mondo store where they sell the 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 that year's limited stuff and all the artists. I mean, they're big artists, you know. Mm-hmm. And they, I, I, I actually think it's pretty interesting, and I'm not sure if they would make it bigger if they could because it seems like a lot of it is to kind of feed into the fervor that people have for their products. Um, they make good stuff. They do make good stuff and they have a very dedicated fan base. And that's what is kind of so interesting about it that like, I, I the stuff that they sell and people that do this kind of work that do these. And it, typically it's the movie posters. Those are the things that, get the most the, the most interest mm-hmm. um th- they have the most you know perceived value right right um they'll release a print and someone will they'll sell it for 50 to 100 dollars maybe 150 who knows and then immediately those prints are going for 300 500 dollars there are some older ones that are very sought after I mean, I saw I saw a Rory Kurtz print. I I it was un it was revealed at an event I went to. Um, it was at the Alamo Draft House. We we watched a movie. They released the print. They gave us all a print, and then within an hour or two, they were on eBay for one hundred and fifty dollars, and that was like the low end. And just basically by keeping it so exclusive. I mean, you have to come to Austin, stand in line, get into these exclusive events. By cutting off that supply, it makes it, it it whips these people into a frenzy. Right. You know, and if you can get something for three or four hundred dollars on eBay and not have to come to Austin, well, that drives the value up for everything. And they're really taking advantage of it. It's a it's an interesting and wild thing. It's an it's a wild market. I think they keep it intimate for a reason. They want to keep it special and keep it valuable. Yeah. You know, perceived value it, is important. It I mean, really it's, is. And it's, I mean, it is a way to make that art valuable. It's mm-hmm. a way to drive interest into art that otherwise, like, I'm not saying that Mondo's artists and people who do the art for Mondo aren't talented because they're all very talented. It's it, every day I see Mondo stuff pop up in my my Twitter feed and I go, man, that's if I if I was rich, mm-hmm. my house would just be filled with it. But mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that there aren't other there isn't other artists who aren't as good as Mondo who do work just like it and can't sell their stuff. Yeah, it's. You know that Mon- because Mondo has kind of cultivated that kind of following, and that name means something. Those that's why that stuff has that value, and on the second and third hand markets. Which I mean, I some of it I don't know if I 100 percent agree with that. You know, business strategy all the time, but it does definitely drive up prices and value of the art. I don't know. I I think that it is very clever and very impressive and. I, I I I don't know. Maybe it is just a ploy, you know. Well, I mean, I but I, do, I I do think that it's um, it was it was interesting to go, but I mean, at the heart of it, it was not the 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 floor was not too different. I mean, I Jeremy Bastian was there, 
I mean, I got to see Becky Cloonan, which was really interesting. She apparently lives in Austin, which I didn't realize. Talked to her briefly about uh, Gotham Academy. Bought a drawing from her. She's very good. She is. That was the. Th- I was actually really um, nervous to talk to her, but right after talking to Drew Struzan, I was like, "Screw it, I don't care anymore." I did like the people who, when you posted a Facebook picture of you and her, you nerding out. There were multiple people mm. like, "Who is this person?" And I'm like, "Becky Cloonan, man." I mean, more, more. I, I um, I was encouraged how many people knew. I also liked that Shane rushed right in, and he's like, "That's Becky Cloonan." <laughs> so ev- I didn't have to answer everyone. <laughs> yes, that that did make me happy. Um, yeah, dude, Becky Cloonan's tiny. Yeah, she's. I did not realize that. Like I, you saw, like I was crouching. If you look at that picture, mm-hmm. she is an itty bitty lady. Likes drawing skulls. She does boobies. Both of those things. I mean, admittedly, two of the finest things in life. Just like Conan said. Yeah, Conan knows. In that in that movie, mm-hmm. he said, "What is good in life? Skulls and boobies." Yeah, yeah. that's what he said. He just wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah, he said, "By crumb, skulls and boobies." Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Christmas movie, Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Don't, what are we, what's going, what, how, how else has your month gone? Anything else you want to talk about before I uh, unleash some unpleasantness? Oh, I, mm, this, I, uh, <laughs> I, I can't really think of too much else to go on about. I'm testing, uh, I'm taking my first jujitsu test in a, in a week. What does that mean? Like what is it? Well, you know what is, what a, I know what a test is, and I know what jujitsu is. Know, okay, but, well then I think it's just be self-explanatory. I mean, do you have to like just exhibit proper technique and form in very doing various holds and and etc. Or yes, okay, that's effectively it. All right, but there there are right and wrong. Way. Like the thing about jujitsu that I've come to understand in my my dumb caveman understanding of this shit um nothing is really complicated but everything is incredibly specific and there is certainly like a right and wrong way to do this or that but it is also really contextual if that makes sense simple but not easy maybe that's one way to look at it it's just like you know if you move if you're doing something like if you move six, you know, a couple of inches one way or the other, mm-hmm. it feels completely different. Right. You know, body positioning. Like, yeah. And it, it like it's odd, like how something works incredibly effectively in one position and horribly in another. Like there is an arm trap system that you do. Um, it's called uh, the Kimura mm-hmm. uh, trap system or the mouse trap system. Uh, they have, there have been, uh, let's see, Mr. Brock Lesnar has used that as a wrestling, a fake professional wrestling move in which he yeah. has not applied it 100% correctly because if he did it, he would break people's arms. Uh, well, you don't have to break someone's arm. You can just hurt them. I mean, you, I mean, you can continue to do it and break their arm. Yes. Yeah. You I can, mean, that's, they, but anyway, the, the, the whole point matter. that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say is like, if someone's arm is extended a little bit out, it almost doesn't hurt at all. And if it's extended in closer to your ribs, it's frickin' agony. 
And that's kind of at the heart of what it is, that if you have to do everything just like this specific way for it to work, and it works like goddamn magic. That's what's so crazy about it. So you, you're going to pass the test and then graduate to the next level? I, I mean, I was talking to my teacher, and he said, yeah, you should just, uh, I, I don't know. I asked him first if I could take the first semester test because I figured I could do it. And he's like, no, just take the second because, you know, I, I came in in the middle, didn't feel very confident about it, feel more confident about, like, the base stuff now. Um, but but he said, just go ahead and take it. You'll do fine. And, you know, come up and take the 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 advanced courses. This is a combat athlete program is what it's called. You have to pass your first test to get into it. But it's probably been long enough. I should probably get into it, you know. I've been doing it a long time, just been taking it very, very slow. Combat athlete, Eric, good night. Yeah, well, it is what it is. I'm a lot better than I was. That's what's really important. Yeah, I'm much. I'm very confident about it, and I've got my sea legs on it, and I know as soon as I get into that cap class, it's going to be as bad as starting over. <laughs> Well, once you get past that class, you'll have your B legs, and then advance that is A legs. That's, uh, you know, I ain't even mad. This is a good pun. I like it. Didn't see it coming. All right. So things are happening at DC Comics. Eric, that's, tr- that's the truth. Let's start with the bad, and then we can end with a less depressing thing. So Eddie Berganza has been an editor at DC Comics for a long time. He, he works on, uh, he worked on, he worked, past tense, on Superman. Worked in the editorial office of Superman. Um, along with all the other sexual abuse, uh, allegations that have been coming out in all facets of industry, this, uh, came out again. All the, that's, and that's the thing that perplexed me because, like, like, man, and a lot of people have said this. Eddie Braganza has been had allegations of sexual harassment and abuse for a long time, and DC has not has never really done anything except keep women away from him. Yeah, that has been their strategy: not to fire him, just to not hire women close. Yes, I mean, I ex- I remember explicitly when Greg Rucka was hired to do Wonder Woman, part of. The- one of his conditions was like, I'm not working with Eddie Berganza because of those allegations. Mm. And that was in the, I read it. It was in the news. And like, why? Yeah. So I, I was perplexed by it then. And now they, as of today, he is fired. He was suspended previously. Now he is gone, which considering the volume of allegations against him. Good. Yes. One less, yeah. one less person like that, uh, working for DC, um, as many people have pointed out, they had fired, you know, multiple women had moved on, quit, got fired while he was still working there. Um, I don't know. I don't really have anything, like, pithy to say or something, but good? Yeah. Keep doing this. It, um, it's definitely been good that all this shit's happening. It makes me sick um, when people that I like... I mean, this is going to break your heart if you haven't heard it already. You probably have, though. Um, uh, why no one has mentioned... Um, why the fuck can't I think of Paul Pope? 
Yeah, Paul Pope. No, I apparently. mean, I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, I I think we talked about him. I don't know. Did we, Way back when? A long time ago, yeah, but it was, I don't know. That is, I, I imagine I had brought it up before. But, like, I, I, I mean, it's, I don't know. We People have been sleeping on this shit for a long time. I definitely, I read that shit about Paul Pope, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't want that to be true. Just scrolled by. I don't know. The whole thing is fucking crazy. I don't even know, man. It it's I mean it's I don't you know Eddie Briganza is in the, works in the editorial offices you know he doesn't write comic books at least you know if he is influencing what's happening on the page it is not visible so you know it's easy to just dismiss it and go Ugh, gross thank God he's gone hopefully that will change the culture somewhat hopefully they'll have more women in there I mean f- frankly there. As I was reading about him, there are uh, the pe- reports are coming out like, yeah, he's not the only person who's had sexual harassment claims working in DC editorial. Those other people are just haven't it hasn't come out, and it won't impact DC two weeks before Justice League, a gigantic movie comes out, and you know Gal Gadot, and, and <laughs> that like, frankly, I think that's why they ended up firing him is because of both the Justice League and the Gal Gadot thing where she's like, I won't, mm-hmm. I will not be in your movies anymore unless you get rid of Brett Ratner, who is a much yep. bigger name to an average person than Eddie Berganza. But eventually I think that would leak down and they, they need at this point, they need Gal Gadot a lot more than they need some serial harasser uh, who's invisible behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But it's names like Paul Pope and, uh, well, Brian Wood is another one. They, like you know, it, oh, Brian Wood, really? I think it, yeah. It, and then it, I mean, it, it disappeared very quickly when it was when it, that stuff came out. I mean, there's, uh, you know, you follow Colin Spacewinks on Twitter. He I mean he tweets like ten thousand times a day, so it's not always easy to see. He everything. lives in. He fucking lives in Twitter. I he tweets at. <laughs> he, he he tweets at uh, uh, Brandon Graham ten thousand times a day. And so, Angrily. yeah, that, I mean, he, he talked about it when this stuff was starting. He's like, yeah, this is not, this is just like, yeah, he called it open secrets, but like all this stuff is come out. It's just, they don't mm-hmm. do anything about it for the most part. And, yes. And I, you know, culturally, I'm glad that it is starting to mean something. You know, we are, people are seeing consequences. Um, it's often, I don't know, it's, it's an ongoing conversation about how you reckon with people who you admire artistically. And then you realize, oh no, they're actually terrible people. And now I have right. to, now I have to basically, kind of, how do I deal with the internalized, my internalized appreciation of their art and move past it and realize, like, get through it and kind of separate them from their art. Well, I don't know, it's a complicated thing, but it's hard to say. Is it even? That's even a great artist. I. I, I it... In this moment, it's really hard to say what the right thing is because battling, like Battling Boys, fucking amazing. That's an incredible book, mm-hmm. but like, it's not worth. Know, it's not worth someone's pain. I don't. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure you can make comics without being a bad fucking person, sexually assaulting people. Yeah. I'm pretty positive. Yep, that's possible. Let me check. Let me check. Oh, yep. The internet says yeah. that's possible, and I yeah. also agree with the internet in this case. You, you you don't need to do it with anything but like fucking ink and paper. Yep, that's that's really you know, some tenacity in there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad they fired him, and I hope it. Ke- I hope it continues that that more people suffer consequences for their shitty behavior. Mm, well, bless everyone that spoke up. Yes, I'm glad that we're. I don't know. We're at a point where it can't be ignored. Yes, I just hope we don't go back into a hole and ignore it, which that's it's always always stay. I don't think there's I don't think there's any putting this genie back in the bottle. I would have said that about Nazis at some point, too. Uh, I would disagree with you on that also, because it's like I don't I think once you have a culture of speaking up and on others' behalf and on your own behalf and, you know, getting people calling it out and, you know, where it it's encouraged, mm-hmm. you know, where it's, I don't know, where it's got enough momentum. I don't think there's any going back to, yeah, let's just, let's just quiet this down. Um, I don't think there's, there's no turning that back, but I don't think there's, as as long as people are different from you in any small way, there's always going to be some jack off saying I'm better than that guy because I'm just a little bit different than him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always going to be that fucking bullshit tribalism. That's I true. don't think the, the Nazi shit is not going to fucking stop. Um, so reason one thousand and thirty five why you don't negotiate with nazis so first bit dc news yay yeah second bit which i think in if we weren't in the culture of steam as we are Mm -hmm. uh it would be it, it would be extraordinary incredible news that people would still be talking about but i think like it was news for it seemed like a day and then that people just moved on and we have other things to talk about now because it's just insanity all the time but brian michael bendis is now a dc he's writing for dc now dc exclusive mm-hmm. dc exclusive which i'm i i don't know if i'm necessarily surprised but that's a i i he is he since the early 2000s name the most important i i would say he has been the he was the most important writer for marvel comics in especially in regard to them getting pulled out of their early to mid 2000s tailspin you know he wrote he was in, in, responsible for a bunch of events responsible for basically was their number one writer for probably nearly a decade in sales and in influence probably company-wide and now he's on dc and now mm-hmm. i don't know i'm interested to see what he does there i'm interested to see what characters he what what characters he takes takes over and even more i'm kind of interested to see if he makes new ones if i mean like he's responsible for miles morales you know he's responsible for 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 uh for jessica jones you know, he's responsible. He's why Luke Cage became a real character again. You know, he pulled Luke Cage out of stereotypes and pulled him, made him a real person. If Gennady Tartakovsky has anything to do with it, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll put in a stop to that. I mean, uh, the rumors are like Marvel, he had, he was very upset about the whole diversity gate problem with, for that, all this, all the comments David Gabriel said, those colossally stupid things. 
uh, and all his friends that used to work there don't anymore. Like Fraction, Kelly Sue, mm. that whole cabal. They, you know, they moved on to greener pastures. And he was still there, and I, DC, they have been very aggressive in hiring, mm-hmm. getting exclusive content. Like, apparently the next one on there is Hickman. They want, they, there's a lot of rumors that they're going to have Hickman next. I don't know. I'm, it's in, I'm, I've, I, frankly, I think it's probably is the, for the best. I think Bendis' work was starting to, like, I don't know, maybe it's just because of, he wasn't the focal point of the company anymore, but some, a lot of his ideas seem to stagnate. And I think him at DC probably will give him some more energy and let him, work on some new properties. We'll see. I, I don't want him writing Superman, but I think he could do a lot of good there with a lot of new, uh, a lot of new characters that he can work with. It's crazy how we just like, we stopped talking about it after a day. I was like, it's mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, it, I, it's, I, I, it's like, frankly, it's, it's like Jack Kirby moving to DC. It felt, it felt like to me, it feels very much on that level. Like Ben is literally mm-hmm. pulled Marvel out of the gutter in like 2005 and made them profitable made them a company again which led to movies which led like i like i i often rag on bendis and how he writes comic books but it he was very he's was and still is a very important writer and has had a lot of influence hey eric hey buddy you ready to talk about some jokers i guess we're gonna do it they call me a space cowboy Mm-hmm. they call me maurice we can move on to our final segment. It is time for Nerdboy Book Club. Nerdboy Book Club is part of show Eric and I assign a longer collected work and discuss it in depth like you would a book in a book club. But instead, it is a comic book. And this week, we are discussing The Killing Joke uh, by Alan Moore and Brian Bolland. Um, 1988's The Killing Joke, uh, the most successful book for DC in bookstores for the past two years. Highest sales. Two years. For past two years, it has led their sales in bookstores. It's bananas. It's weird that it's only the past two years, though. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's always done well. I think also them keeping it like I, this is this deluxe edition was the, the edition that sold has mm-hmm. led their sales. I think them they realized it has always done well enough and they realized hey if we updated it probably some more and it did um this is a this is a an important book yeah i don't know for for a lot a lot a lot of people yeah it's it's a a, it it, even even just for something to sell this much you'd be talking about it yes I, i i mean i i think we should i i've there's a lot of 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 stuff to discuss with this book. Um, I think first off, we can just start with it textually, how it works and how it doesn't work as a story, because I think that's effectively what it has to succeed as first and for foremost. It has to work as a comic book. It has to tell its story before we can get to cultural impact and uh, dark and gritty comics and uh, women in refrigerators. Um, this is when did you last read this, Eric? Do you remember? I don't know. I can't recall. There were also chunks of it I had completely forgotten. I mean, that's natural. It's probably been quite some time. Yeah, I've, I. it's easily been over a decade since I've read this. 
I was a, I think I probably was, it feels like I was a late teenager if I wanted, I was reading in a bookstore, I I would imagine sitting in a chair or something like didn't buy it, read it, put it back. Mm -hmm. Not that I didn't like it. It just didn't have any money. (laughs) Do you remember your impressions at all? The first time? I remember looking at it and thinking, huh, where's the rest of it? It is relatively short. Yeah. It, it, 45 pages? It, yeah. I mean, there, this, this deluxe edition has... It, yeah, that's a, like... People compared it at the time. It was very similar to kind of a European-style graphic novel, mm-hmm. which were 48 pages. Mm-hmm. And just had a, like, here's a story, and this is it. Not going to be... Not, you know, not... Not lengthy, not epic. It's just like here is a concise thing. Um, it's really like people talk. I, this is a Joker story first and foremost. Batman's in it. I I think that's the thing. I like looking at the story. It people talk a lot about. Oh yeah, Batman, Batman and Joker. It's the but it's mostly just the Joker. There's Batman's in it, but he's kind of around the edge in this thing, and mostly in the ending. I think. Like you have basically two two threads. You have uh, a flashback to Joker's origin story, quote unquote origin story, and then the other thread is Joker trying to prove that kind of prove his thesis that anyone can break, become him if ha- they have one bad day. That's all it takes. And his subject is Commissioner Gordon, and the story and it's something that people point out. They're not connected. Like in textually, you know, the, the flashback and the modern day stuff, there's no, it's not like someone's, it's not like the Joker is telling us his origin story. Mm-hmm. It's not like Gordon or Batman is telling us this. It is just shown to us. And then at the same time, we are shown the, the, the modern day, the stuff happening. And there's a lot of people like there's a, like, of the 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 points in the story that are under, that are under contention, like one is the ending, two is Joker's origin story, and then three is Barbara Gordon. Mm-hmm. And you know, Joker himself in the book says, you know, I, when talking about his own origin, about his own past, I like it to keep it multiple choice, and that has been taken and used mostly as this origin story we're showing it could be true. But it might not be. You know, it could change. It could be something else another day. Although, textually, I don't think this book tells us anything except this is actually his origin story. You know, I think I think popular opinion has basically decided, no, I prefer my Joker to have no origin or one of seven different stories he tells on any given day. But I'm fairly certain this is Alan Moore telling us, hey, this is the origin of the Joker. Have I? We've said this, I think we said it before, where we both kind of prefer it not to be have him have a concrete origin. Right? Eric, you there? Maybe I'm too, maybe I'm too burned out. Too burned out on Batman. Too Jokered out. Do you prefer it to I have mean, it? it is certainly, huh? I was going to say, do you prefer to have the, the concrete? Well, I mean, I do think that the mystery does make it scary. I I seem to think that that's where we landed when we discussed it before. You know, that it. I think when you start really looking too deeply into why there's this weird, scary clown 
who's going to kill you when you start picking that apart. It it loses whatever power it has. I don't know. I, ne- I never minded this this backstory, and it's interesting enough to read it. I mean, it's essential to the story. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, like, it is essential to Joker's well, I mean, it, modern course, it day. reflects the, yeah. the, his, yeah, the whole thing is one bad day and, right. Which I, I imagine is why it's presented so kind of, kind of at face value of without a narrative, like, there's no frame here. It's just, here it is. And it wants to establish that. I don't know. The, Brian Ballin has said that he, that's what he took away from it, is that this is just one version. You know, Joker could change it at any time to his whim. But again, Joker isn't telling us this. It's just being presented to us. Um, the ending. What do you think the ending is telling us, Eric? I really can't see, having read this through again, mm-hmm. it doesn't even make sense that Batman would just kill him. It seems really strange that, I mean, sure, it starts off with, oh, you know, moment of clarity where one of us is going to kill the other one. Yeah, there's a lot. And then it, there's what? No, you continue. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. No, I was going to say that it doesn't make sense that he has this, this, he gives this speech about how it didn't work and we're bringing you in and herp-de-derp-derp. Why the fuck would he turn around and kill him? It yeah, doesn't make any sense. It it I it it's hard to it I mean it is purposefully vague. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 is a Alan Moore has said what he intended. He intended it to just be a moment of where these two people who are have been shown throughout the story that they are two sides of the same coin, you know, Batman is why Batman is Batman because he had one bad day. He you know, one terrible thing happened to him. And it was enough to make him Batman and how their Joker and Batman are, are connected and that they're doomed to do this forever until one of them dies or they both die. And Alan Moore intended is that that moment is just a moment where both of them just laugh at the absurdity of their situation where they kind of step away from what they what these personas that they have they've inhabited where they both have a moment of clarity, not just the Joker. Mm-hmm. Where they both go, where they both just stop a moment and laugh at how ridiculous this all is. I don't, there's a lot of interpretations that say, yeah, Batman kills the Joker at the end. I don't, I don't buy it either. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't read it that way the first time. I, and I think somewhere along the way on this podcast, you told me that was one interpretation of this. That is and the, reading it now myself again, I absolutely don't see it. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't think that that this that is not what this book is saying. Like, Alan Moore is very precise with his writing, and I this book up into that point is not saying Batman is going to kill the Joker. It feels very much like it is Batman and the Joker reckoning that they are the same person following different following different paths and that and that i think i think that is as much as this book can say successfully like that's for all that people try and pull from this book thematically 
I think the only thing it succeeds on is, look, the Joker is a monster and a madman. And him and Batman are very similar. And those arc, and, and, and that's why these archetypes work and why the comic book, why they work as villain and as hero. I mean, I frankly, this thing, I feel like this thing works better as just like a demonstration of symbol and archetype than as a story. Cause as a story, I don't think it works very well. Like, I feel like it's interesting academically, but I don't, ever feel like I'm attached to the story and going, oh, I need to know what happens next. Like, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't advance. Like, it doesn't have, it's not structured like a normal comic. It's not like, here's our character, here's we're establishing things. It's just very much like, the Joker is here, and you know who the Joker is, and here's Batman, mm-hmm. and you know who Batman is, and Let's follow the Joker on this weird mission he has. But it's never framed like, can Batman stop the Joker? It's not framed like that. Which is like, 99% of Batman stories are like, can Batman stop this thing from happening? Or can he stop this villain? But the climax of the story is not him rescuing Gordon. The climax of the story is him running and like talking to the Joker at the end. It's like strangely sedate kind of thing. Mm. And then when you talk about not being invested, Mm -hmm. all the people that I know that are old enough and were into comics when this came out feel very differently about this book. And they felt very invested in it. And I, I... I mean, this is this book was later, you know, than Dark Knight or Watchmen or I mean, it was a couple years afterwards. Yeah. Several years. It looked like 88. Yeah. The other ones were 80, 86. Both of them. OK. So less than I thought. Less than I thought. I mean, I I I don't it's not that I don't believe them. I, I feel like I mean, it's impossible to disassociate. All that I've read and, and my cult, like my context of what, how I grew up in comics and what comics were when I was growing up versus what they became, mm-hmm. the subsequent blowback of that and what they are now. And my tastes have changed for sure over those years, but I feel like it's impossible to disconnect that and how I feel about this book. Like this book came out before Batman the animated series. And that, frankly, is my Batman. Mm-hmm. That it, it's I've read a lot of Batman comic books, and some of them I really like, and some of them I don't. But if you ask me, hey, what is your this define your Batman? I'm just like watch the animated series. That's my yeah. Batman. Yeah, that, that's what I like most about Batman. They what they do, what the stories they tell with him, how it looks, how he acts. I, I can't wait till the generation after, like the 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 teens and preteens that come into comics after, you know, the younger millennials mm-hmm. and they start talking shit about Batman, the animated series, the way we're talking about this book. I mean, I, I, I can't wait I, <laughs> and can't it, wait to defend it. So this came out before all that, you know, and yeah. rightfully I would say that 
Batman the Animated Series, and all depictions, you know, all the depictions of Batman after that are obviously influenced by this. But coming back to it, it's hard for me to, like, oftentimes I am, I'm something, it's something I'm very conscious of whenever I read or when I'm consuming any kind of fiction, not just comic books, but I get in my head about it. I'm thinking consciously like, oh, this character is representing that. This is this character is a symbol for this. They they represent whatever it is, pride or 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 some movement or or a social something or other. And I, I think about those things all the time. And I'm aware of the fact that I do that. And fiction when it's most successful is when I it is so good, when it's so compelling that I get out of my head. That I'm not thinking about, oh, this character means that in this scene. I'm not trying to like break it down like and try and work through how they put this thing together like a puzzle piece i'm thinking man i really want to see how this ends Mm -hmm. i love this character this character is awesome and i can that's that's where i get to with this book i think of i think it's really good in that sense like like most things alan moore writes he thoroughly understands these characters and what they are Mm -hmm. and i think he you know, writing a Batman story is like, well, what do I do with the Batman and the Joker? How do I frame them as as a hero and villain? But it's it's impossible to separate what the what Batman and Joker were in 1988. It's impossible to separate that from what has happened to those characters in the intervening thirty, nearly thirty years, and how I am and. Here, I have a, I have a, a, a quote from Alan Moore about how he feels about this book. And I, let's see, I, I've never really liked my story in The Killing Joke. I think it put far too much melodramatic weight upon a character that was never designed to carry it. It was too nasty, too physically violent. Um, if I ever wrote the character again, I'd probably be sending it squarely in the kind of smiley uncle period where Dick Sprang was drawing it, where you had Ace the Bat Hound and Bat Might, Zebra Batman, when it was sillier. It was brimming with imagination and playful ideas. I don't think the world needs that many brooding psychopathic Avengers. I don't know that we need any. Mm, I definitely read that earlier today and thought how maybe now we're only kind of starting to inherit the world that Alan Moore was thinking about. But I, I also kind of think that he was just someone who wrote brooding, nasty stories and in reflection regretted it yes i no. i at the time i don't think he had any compunction you know i think he was just doing a job yeah i think he's full of shit and that he wrote watchman and marvel man and this because those things are all dark as fuck Mm -hmm. there i don't think i i i I mean i I can't think of anything else that he had written in in that era v for vendetta anything that wasn't dark and brooding and trying to say really loud that that we're gonna you should take us seriously because it's got sex and violence and it's dark material and this is serious this is a thing for adults it's it's Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean i i think that is yeah it it is all in retrospect now and i think you can clearly see a time in his career when he suddenly shifted to writing tom strong and, oh, yeah. and pulpy superhero stuff that was late nineties, two thousands. He he did clearly he did clearly hard shift into that. 
wanted to dissociate himself from this, but he was drinking his own Kool-Aid back then. He's I mean, full of crap if he's going to try and pretend that he was on. No. No, I don't. I don't. And I don't know. I think it's it, he does. I There was a, especially a moment when which brings up point number three, the Barbara Gordon stuff, the the sexual assault on Barbara Gordon in this comic, the use of her as a plot device mm-hmm. where he's like he's like, yeah, I went to editorial and he's like, oh, they should have reined me in. And I'm like, come on. No, don't give me that. I'm like, yeah, they are responsible because they're just, I mean, but you wrote this thing. Don't, don't start mm-hmm. like trying to deflect everything. Mr. Alan Moore. I think you're a great comic book writer, maybe the best, but it, you still did write your names on this, even though you don't want it to be. Um, yeah. Barbara Gordon is a plot device in this. There, there's yeah. no, there, I make, I don't, there, are, there are people who, argue that no 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 it, it, but no she has no character in this she is used merely You're right merely she to she, she walks Gordon. in and hands literally hands him a cup of cocoa and and you're supposed to think here's this beautiful girl who's suffering and you're supposed to feel righteous indignation yeah it is used and, to yeah. it is she's a plot device used to further uh batman and gordon's anger and to, to drive Gordon insane as well, you know, the primary function that Joker is trying to do. And he does it by literally undressing her, taking naked pictures of her while she's wounded, you know, she, while she's paralyzed, mm-hmm. and showing them to Gordon and showing them to us as well. And it is meant to manipulate the, the reader and to uh, to affect the Gordon, the character. But she herself is not ever a character in this book. Uh, she's never even like the reader. We know she's Batgirl. She's never even called Batgirl in this thing. You know, she's just Barbara Gordon, Gordon's daughter. And I mean, Alan Moore has come and said, like, yeah, I don't, I, I, it, I never. It looking back, it was a, it's a bad decision, and I regret it. Um, the what happened to her, and Brian Ballin himself is like, I would not have done that, all those things to her, but I was doing a job. Mm-hmm. I was told to draw this stuff, so I did. And uh, I believe the first, then there's a, 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 they, it was revealed a couple years ago, the original page of the, you know, the big, the big page where you see all her pictures in, in the background and Gordon is there looking tormented. They originally showed that and there was even like a, a kind of grosser version of it that they had him change because they felt it was too graphic. Um, there's still debate about whether she was raped or not. That also seems really stupid and improbable. I don't think there's... That doesn't seem like the Joker's M.O. at all. Well, I mean, not not necessarily. I mean, the, the people who are arguing say, like, not even necessarily the Joker, but his henchmen or, or whatever. I I agree with you. I don't think it... I don't think it implies that. I also think that it doesn't matter. Like... The primary argument is not if what degree of sexual assault she endured, but the fact that she's not a character. She is mm-hmm. she's furniture, and she is a cocoa delivery device. And the fact that the degree, like you mentioned, the them trying to communicate like this is an adult book. Look at mm-hmm. this. Look look at this content. Look this is look how violent this is. Look how like the Joker just stands there shoots her paralyzes her and then undresses her takes pictures of them to torment commissioner gordon look at this this isn't this extreme Uh isn't this adult and uh there's a twitter thread that you 
I had read. I had forgotten about it until I saw it in the notes again. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. I had read it the night or like a day or whenever. I read it because it's about video games, and I I follow a lot of video games people on Twitter. You have Google alerts for everything about video games. I do. It's just video games. I get 10 million emails a minute. Uh, I'd read it and thought about it and like appreciated it in the context of video games, but then you talked to me and you're like, what about this in context of Killing Joke? I'm like, yeah, actually, that is 100% pertinent. And it is about, um, it's from Twitter account Bombs Fall. It's about, uh, a, the newest David Cage video game called Detroit. Um, uh, David Cage has made most famous, most famously Heavy Rain. Uh, before that, he made Indigo Prophecy. Um, he made, uh, Beyond uh, something. I forget. It, it had Ellen Page in it as a virtual actor. Um, but he makes games that are like very much decision. They're like, they were basically Telltale games before Telltale existed as a idea. You know, where you are just kind of controlling a character, and you're making, like, real-life decisions, uh, and it's not mechanics-heavy, you know, it's not like you have to be good at video games to beat the games, it's more about experiencing this story and making choices. But his stories were, his video games were always a little clunky and weird and aiming too high, and they were once very novel. Nowadays, they are not. And there are video games that do the same thing of telling like deep and engaging and mature stories that don't have the kind of clunky and gross stuff that David Cage games have. And this Twitter thread is about not just video games, but all mediums eventually hit this point where they want to convince the viewer or reader or whatever about how adult and mature their their medium is. He frames it slightly differently, but that does it. It dovetails really nicely into th- this argument. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I it. I if we go any deeper into video game, it would have to. There's yeah. comparisons about like. I, I think some of that stuff is contextual to video games in in particular, but mm-hmm. the the whole feature argument, yeah, for sure. Um, but it does. It's a it's a first cousin to this this whole same like oh hey look at us look how big and bad we are look how dark and gritty this is look how for adults this is yeah um and I I think that's very important when you bring up this book about yeah. it and that I think is a thing I appreciate more than just the book itself is and I think the thing that I'm we talk about a lot and about. And in, in, I don't know, in relevance to the culture of comic books and the the comments about diversity that Mar- that Marvel had made and the responses and, and all that stuff, I think it we're still dealing with this. This has not gone away. Um, I, I I went through the years in comics, basically, you know, highlights of years in comics, and just think with this in mind, like. Comics, quote-unquote, growing up. Because for a long time, comic books were for children. All of them. They were all written for children. Adults enjoyed them, for sure. But they were more or less explicitly aimed at kids. And then comic books died off for a while, weren't successful. Superhero comics explicitly just did not sell. And then they came back in the 60s in a big way. 50s, mildly successful. 60s, you know, Marvel happened. And then DC responded, and Marvel and DC became the big two. And we really haven't seen a difference, a change in that 
until I would say the 90s, was there even a challenge to that. But as the kids who grew up in these comics became adults, I there was demand for, I want comics that aren't for children. I want comics that are for me. And I have like a, a gigantic list, a gigantic timeline of basically the Bronze Age <laughs> till the, the early to mid-90s, where you can track it. You can clearly see comic books pushing to be considered adult, to be considered acceptable for adults to read. And I, 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 it's a little small thing, but I think it's a, ve a very vital thing, is the changes to the Comics Code Authority in the early 70s. Because that kind of is what killed comic books in the first place for a long time. Or a lot, at least a, a significant a portion of genre comic books. Horror, it basically, it killed horror comics. It's why EC Comics went out of business. It's because of the Comics Code Authority. But they changed their code enough to allow a little bit more nuance. You could portray criminal activity as, as, uh, perhaps, I forget how, the, a little bit more lenient, I guess, in how you displayed criminals. It's so stupid. Thinking now mm -hmm. today, like, we read comic books all the time where criminals are the, are, are protagonists. Like we, there's, yes, we allow for the nuance where people who are protagonists can't commit crimes, but it all, that happens. We see the death of Gwen Stacy in 73. We see the first appearance of the Punisher and Wolverine in 74. Claremont debuts in X-Men 75. First issue of American Splendor, 76. 2000 AD in 77, which is where Alan Moore would first get his first credits. Uh, DC has a colossal failure in 78. Uh, also the same year, Batman the Laughing Fish storyline comes out, which is a slightly darker version of what until then was kind of a, a cartoon. You know, he was a clown. You think to like the 60s Batman version of the Joker, he was closer to that. He was ridiculous. He wasn't, he was certainly a villain, but he wasn't this sociopath that we have today. Um, 78, Eisner's A Contract with God, the first quote unquote graphic novel. The first time I think, first time I could see them using the term graphic novel to describe comic books, at least in American comics, which I think is important. 79, I, The Demon in a Bottle storyline with Iron Man, alcoholism. 79, Frank Miller right, draws for Daredevil, and shortly he will be writing it as well. Dark Phoenix Saga, 80. Mouse is first published in 1980, the first chapter of it. 1981, the first direct market exclusive comic book. You know, first comic book that went exclusively to comic book stores, which is all comic books now. 82, Marvel has an official graphic novel release. Like, they have books that were designed to be graphic novels. They have a new imprint that is for mature readers, for, for older people. 82, same year, Marvel Man and V for Vendetta debut. Alan Moore arrives. Bullseye Kills Elektra, 1982. Love and Rockets debuts, 1982. First Wolverine miniseries debuts, 1982. Akira debuts, 1982. Brave and the Bold is canceled, replaced with Batman and the Outsiders. Like, and that, I, like, as I was reading that, like, that feels like a perfect, just like, hey, look, here's Brave and the Bold. Batman and Superman being good superheroes. And then you have Batman and the Outsiders, which is very much like, look at this. We're edgier. Uh, Walt Simon starts Thor, 83. More officially starts working for DC, 1984, the Swamp Thing. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles debuts, 1984. The Black Costume for Spider-Man, 1984. Judas Contract, which we read, 84. Secret God, Wars. Well, I loved it so much. I know, 1984. Crisis on Infinite Earths, including, which includes the death of Supergirl, 85. 
Eisner's the kitchen sink, 85. Watchmen, here we go. This is the, the I think this is the true run-up to this book. Watchmen is 86 to 87. Dark Knight Returns, 86. John Burns' Man of Steel, 1986, which is basically the reset of Superman's continuity after Crisis. Punisher number one, 1986. Batman Year One, 87. Peter Parker marries Mary Jane in 87. Also, Craven's Last Hunt in 87. And then Venom debuts in 1988 with Todd McFarlane drawing him. And then The Killing Joke and A Death in the Family, both in 1988. You can see the escalation. You see very, you see them covering drug addiction. You see violence increasing steadily. You see stakes being raised. You see event comics. You see things like Judas Judas Contract. You see things like Crisis constantly escalating the stakes, escalating what can be shown in a comic book. We're going to kill people. We're going to, the Punisher, we're going to show murder. We're going to show a hero that just has guns. You know, he just kills people with guns and he's our hero. Or Wolverine, for that matter. He just chops up hundreds of Japanese fellows in that miniseries. Daredevil, Electra, Electra being used as a plot device to a certain extent. Even though she's more of a character. I mean, she's still just grist for the mill. But it is comic books trying to be adult. Comic books increasingly adding more and more and more mature and adult content to try and demonstrate that they're acceptable for adults to read. I don't think it's only that, but I feel very much like that push is comic books trying to emulate maturity, not actually kind of reach it. It 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 explains I feel like that explains a lot of our reactions to us rereading these books. Mm-hmm. How we felt about Judas Contract, how we feel, how we felt about a, a large portions of Frank Miller's Daredevil, how we felt about this book. I think it's only going to be in those mediums that are going to be misrepresented as being for kids. The only one I can think of that's really comparable is video games. Is what I think the 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 bombs fall thread. Yeah, is pretty on point. You could probably do a similar thing, and it was right around the same time. Maybe it was a couple of years later. You know, we were definitely doing a lot of uh, Spawn and um, you know Wildstorm stuff and violent comic books at the same time we were getting doom and mortal Kombat. yeah you know mm-hmm. um i i mean i think animation is probably another yeah that's a that's that's very poignant although i don't think it's faced the same degree i i i, I mean i i think we as a culture we are more accepting of animation also telling adult stories um also it never faced I don't think in film, film animation never faced, I don't know. You don't really see any wide releases of quote unquote adult. There's, there's never like a lot of, at least not in the West, you know. Animation, theatrical movies were always a shared experience, Mm -hmm. you know. So you would have to try and involve the parents anyway, even if it is a thing for children. So I, I think you're, you're, they're trying to hit too many marks at once. I think maybe that's when 
one of the reasons it was an easier pill to swallow, maybe. Right. And I, I, I think a it's, comic book. What was that? I was going to say I think animation has it's been it's I think it's a closer comparison on television than it is in film. I think mm, television yes. animation was for a long time was strictly child's cartoons. Yeah. Tom and Jerry was, Looney Tunes. And then there was nothing before the Simpsons. Then the really, Simpsons that, happened. What, what can I think of? Nothing. Yeah. There's I mean, it existed, but it was not it wasn't it didn't wasn't successful, wasn't notable. Um, the Simpsons were the first thing. And then I think if you want to draw the comparison of being adult, it is Simpsons to South Park. You know, mm -hmm. it is to Family Guy. You know, you, mm -hmm. and now we're and now you're cycling back again where you get things like um, BoJack Horseman that are closer to actual mature content versus some of those shows which are just like, hey, we're adults. We have yeah. It, it's really not really adult, but it is an emulation of maturity versus mm -hmm. an actual one. Um, yeah, swearing and violence for the sake of like, oh my god, it's a cartoon swearing and being violent. Yeah, not really. Oh my god, it's titties and blood in a comic book. Yes. It's uh, remarkable. A video game about domestic violence, except we're not going to talk about domestic violence. Yes. It's just going to it's just a thing that's in there. And I think that is a large part of why those books felt important because it felt finally these people could say, no, this is, this is for adults. It's a point of, it gives a point of pride. Even it felt like vital and important. It felt like, wow, this is more than just, I like, if you compare this to a comic book that came out in 1968, yes, it is groundbreaking in a lot of ways. I mean, I make no bones about it. The writing and we haven't talked about Bond's art at all. It's amazing. It's my favorite part of this book. Mm. Dude's pretty good. I mean, he. It also was the last full book he he ever drew. He has only done covers since because they pay more and he can do them quicker. Um, I feel like when you if you read this in eighty in nineteen eighty eight, you go, "This is amazing." I mm -hmm. I when I was a kid, Batman was like singing cheesy one-liners and the Joker was spraying people with a, uh, his boutonniere and that was the that was the the characters and in this it is engaging in actual I don't know, meaningful story and and meaningful character and like them representing big ideas it feels dangerous and I think that yes that's a value add it is you know for people feels dangerous it feels important it feels like you have to watch it and we talk about like being invested you know i think that if you're if you feel that like that's the thing we're not going to feel that danger no we're not you know we're coming into this from the backside. yeah that's and that's um, where i was gonna go was this is 88 and the death in the, a death in the family is also eighty eight, which is the death of 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 Robin of Jason Todd, uh, Grant Morrison eighty nine on Doom Patrol, Gotham by Gaslight eighty nine, Arkham Asylum Grant Morrison and, and McKean in eighty nine, Spider Man number one nineteen ninety Todd McFarlane, and then ninety one first appearance of Carnage and Deadpool with Rob Liefeld drawing, uh, first issue of Weapon X ninety one X Men number one which sold four million copies I believe with uh -huh. Jim Lee. In 92, Image, 
image happens with Spawn, Savage Dragon, Wildcats, and Image for a brief window in time were the cool kids, the Young Guns, I believe they were called. Rob Liefeld was in jeans commercials, like mainstream jeans commercials, and I you see DC and Marvel, uh, well particularly I think well both react to that. Where you have in '92 the death of Superman. 93, imprint of Vertigo starts officially. 93, Batman Nightfall, or Azrael becomes Batman. 93, X-Men Fatal Attractions, which is where the comic book where Magneto rips Wolverine's skeleton through his skin. And then you get the onslaught of the 90s comics, because then everybody is doing those things. And you said it's not dangerous anymore. It's because we've read all those comics. We are exposed to that decade, basically, of comics all trying to one-up each other, of being dangerous and grim and edgy. And it is, I would say, impossible not to be desensitized to it after a while. And you come back and read this, and just all you see is kind of, you've been so, you've, you've seen so much of that one-upsmanship, so much of saying, look how adult we are, look how grim we can make this comic book. Mm -hmm. it's kind of revealed it for the shallow gimmick that it was yeah you and like killing joke is artful watchman is artful v for vendetta is artful they are still dark and grim but they have there's artistic choices every step along the way some of them in retrospect were bad all the barbara gordon stuff all bad but i don't want to put them in the same boat as those nineties comics, which were felt shallow and no, and there's not, there's no artful decisions in there. It is, it is purely like, it is purely a game of one-upsmanship. But I think that the fact that those books are so artful, how like, and, and, and Watchmen in particular, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, you're like all those books, because they're so artful and so good, even with their problems, it was it, they kind of like played a trick on a lot of people in making them think that the artfulness and the levels of violence and 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 errant sexuality and all that stuff was was were, that those were the reasons it was good not because it was full of artful choices and and strong character and thematic and you know strong themes and tone it is hey look there's also a lot of violence in this there's also you know uh, people being paralyzed with and, and, and drastic, dramatic things happening. That's why this is good. And it started an arms race. Like, we read Watchmen. Watchmen's amazing. But it is also the beginning of all this stuff. I mean, and that, and that is what Alan Moore has said. It's like, I'm regretful because I feel like I was just trying to be inventive and new and, and people copied the wrong parts of it. They copied the, the, ex, the extreme and then dialed well, up it. That is what stands out. And I don't. I feel like because we were exposed to so much of that, and it was so demonstrated so often, time and time again, that it's just a gimmick. Nowadays, we are we we are more attracted to things that are like simple and and pure and like devoid of gimmick of, and especially of the extreme gimmick. And like this book, I don't blame it. Like I'm, I'm not angry at it or anything. 
and I understand why people have such attraction to it. But I don't I I I can't divorce that I can't divorce my my context. I can't divorce the context of it from from my interpret from me reading it. It's impossible. And like it's been so long now that we are starting to see that extremes like there's still there's still people who want that. There are still people reading comic books who want that. Who want nineties comics again. And and like I don't want to say that they're wrong. It's just They want that same old Slayer album. Yeah, exactly. Just release the same album again, different, but not too different. I mean, I'll just listen to Rain of Blood again or Seasons of the Abyss. Yeah, I mean, those things don't stop existing. Yeah, um, and I think that's like, I, I, I don't know. I would you say you like this comic, Eric? I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. Okay, that's right. It I was, uh, it was not, it was not poor. It had a lot of interesting and artistic choices in it. Um, yeah. I think the fact that this book is so big and important is kind of the worst thing about it. Yeah, it has become... Dummies that like it. <laughs> yeah, it has become... It has nothing to do with the book itself. Mm-hmm. largely it is it well, has not it has le- it has less to do yeah i mean it started it has some to do it started out as hey this is a batman in the joke it is the joker story it i mean like it or not it is the basically the foundation for modern joker it it really very easily reads as that like it's not hard to imagine i mean even animated series joker being pretty clearly patterned after this Joker. Yeah. I mean, I, it is hard not to hear him in Mark Hamill's voice. Yes. And I, it, it fits together nicely. And I, I mean, I think it, it has become a kind of, uh, what's the, I'm trying to think of the right term for it. Um, I don't know, something for, it's a, become a symbol, I suppose, for a, yeah. a, t- a type of fandom and for, I, you know, as I was doing research for this, of course, the a lot of the stuff that came out was that Batgirl cover, you know, the one uh, Raphael, the, Raphael Albuquerque drew that was her yeah. the recreation basically of this of this of this cover, um, which you know there was a lot of flack for at the time, and you know that kind of represented the these factions. You know, you we talked about tribalism earlier, mm-hmm. like. That's that's what this book kind of has represented. Like you, for some reason, I can't just say, "Oh, yeah, it's a product of it being in 1988 of them trying to make a a quote unquote adult comic book uh, that is written by Alan Moore, drawn by Brian Ballen. It's very artful because it has those two incredibly talented men working on it. I can say that, but also think that yeah, the stuff that is with that all the stuff that involves Barbara Gordon in it is gross and kind of not acceptable in modern day comics and. That cover kind of, I think, I don't know, crystallized, clarified, like, there's still people, plenty of people who are like, no, you can't criticize that. That's my comic. I really like that comic book. And you saying that it's wrong that Barbara Gordon is used as a plot device is somehow attacking me. Mm-hmm. And, and then it becomes about more than, oh, is this, is that okay? It's more about, well, why are you trying to change my thing? 
you know, it's it becomes representative of like a greater cultural war about the identity of comic books, about superhero comics in particular. And that's unfortunate. I don't like you can like it's okay to look back at things and say, yeah, they were very important at the time. This book is very important. It also has choices in it that you I wouldn't that are bad and you shouldn't be done. Like there's no I I can't fathom an argument that makes what happens to Barbara Gordon in this thing make okay. Like the only kind of the only kernel of good that came out of it was the creation of Oracle. But Oracle was not created because of this comic. Oracle is created mm. like dis, despite it. Like it was created to make sal- it eliminate out of turds. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It was to try and salvage something of Barbara Gordon after this comic became continuity when it was never intended to be. But it, I, I can have two separate thoughts in my head at the same time. Me, I'm not so good at that. <laughs> it's it's something we are struggling with as a culture. Mm-hmm. Is ha- having like I, I can appreciate it for these reasons, and also say it's bad for these reasons. Mm. Things have nuance. Yeah, things have nuance. Yeah, I'd like it for Brian Bolin to come back and do a full comic again, if just one. Um, um, we're blessed for anything he gives us. Because I, I mean, I think it is. I, 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 I really, despite how many times Elmore is asked about this comic book, he, his comments is always like, "Brian's art is very beautiful. I don't really like much else about it." Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate at least that he's like, "Yeah, my artist did a great, fantastic job." Uh, I don't really understand all the antagonism towards Elmore, but in his comments, because he's actually mostly po- very polite about how he feels. Mm-hmm. In in relation to his DC work and this in, in particular. So I feel like he's probably had to a- a- answer the question a million times um, until he, you know, went back into seclusion, you know, when he's not singing songs dressed up as a monkey. Well, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do. He's got to be Alan Moore, you mean? I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, there's nuance <laughs> there. <laughs> You're right. There is nuance there. Is there anything that we haven't talked about, Eric? I'm sure there is. Mm. Anything you wanted to touch on that we didn't? Not in particular. You had a a lot of very good thoughts about it, but a lot of it's things we've spoken on before. I mean, I think that's that's the thing that I came away with with from this. Mm-hmm. It's very much like we've kind of painted in the picture around this book. Right. Yeah. It's it's very much in the past two hundred episodes. We've talked about the things that came before it, and we've talked about the things that came after it. But it kind of is a a touchstone mm-hmm. for comic book culture. And I think it's going to continue to be for a long time. So folks, that was uh Batman, the killing joke, Alan Moore, Brian Boland. We talked for a bit about that. No, I don't know if that was, I don't know if that, I don't think that passed our Watchmen discussion in length, but that means episode 300 will have to be four hours long marathon podcast. Next week, we're going to be doing Hip Hop Family Tree Volume 1 by Ed Piscor. Piscor? 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 However the right way to say it. That's the way I said it. Uh, we'll be talking about that next week, if you want to read along with us. I think it'll do it for us. We are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Find us at handsomeboyscomicshour.com. Find links to everything there to our Facebook. Facebook.com slash handsomeboyscomicshour. Twitter at HBC Hour. You can email us at handsomeboyscomics at gmail.com. Uh, if you like the show, 
Go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, whatever podcast app you use. Uh, they have a way for you to review us, to subscribe to us, give us five stars or whatever, whatever method that app prefers. Tell your friends. We like getting new listeners and those things help us do that. You can find me on Twitter at Robbie Dorman. Eric, where can they find you and your things online? Well, you can see my portfolio by going to freewillunlimited.com and you can see most of the things I get up to by going to ericzgoodnight.com. That includes my Instagram and my Twitter where I'm known as EasyGoodnight on both. With that, we'll call it a day. Have a good one. Rock and roll. (laughs) 